Good morning. It's a pleasure to be among you this morning. As Pastor Daniel has said, uh, we are going to give a, a deeper update on our time in Cameroon a little bit later, on our last service and time. Um, but this morning, as we look into God's Word, I'm going to share some, some different aspects of our ministry in Cameroon as we go through the message, the things that you don't hear about in our prayer letters. But I want to start, please, please start by opening your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter, we're going to be in chapter 1. And if you keep your Bibles open from time to time, we're going to be referring back to that. But I also want you to see from God's Word uh, exactly what I'm saying and what's there. And if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the pew in front of you. Please go ahead and take one of those. And if you don't have a personal Bible, please feel free to take that home with you after this. I don't know about you. But it's always been a struggle for us to get our dog to take medication. Right? There's something about that pill that he has to take. Uh, maybe, it's the, maybe it's the smell. Maybe it's the taste of the pill. Or just the way we approach him that raises his suspicions. And he's like, whoa, warning, danger, stay away. And I don't think I'm alone in this. Right? A frequent tactic to get the dog to take the pill is to hide the pill in something that the dog really likes, you know, like peanut butter. And it's hoped that the goodness of the peanut butter will distract from the presence of the pill, which we know is ultimately for his good. And perhaps if we could just make the dog understand that the pill is a benefit to him, he'd be much more open in taking it. But he'd probably still want the peanut butter without the pill. And today we're going to look at the pill in the peanut butter in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. Please follow along as I read God's word. 1 Peter 1, 3 to 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. <clears throat> Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word which informs us, which instructs us, which comforts us, which draws us closer to you. I pray now, Father, as we look at this passage, that you would be with me and help me say the things that are edifying and glorifying and true about your word. And Father, that the things that are edifying and true about your word would be received by the members of this congregation. And Father, that we would all leave here changed, that we would all leave here drawing closer to you, that we would all leave here finding a, a different way to look at our trials and our tribulations and our difficulties. And Father, that you would grow us together through this. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 9, it, it's, it's a very rich passage, and we could spend a lot of time breaking down pretty much every word in this passage, and it extols God's glorious goodness to us in Jesus Christ. It speaks of God's mercy toward us. It speaks of God's salvation, that He has caused us to be born again and giving us a, a living hope, a certain hope, a real hope. It speaks of God's assurance and his power in keeping our inheritance and his guard over us. I think, however, that there's often a tendency or a desire to overlook verses 6 and 7 in this passage, or to try to live as if verses 6 and 7 weren't really there, or as if they were only an occasional or necessary evil in our lives. I think we'd like to try to read it like this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. That's the peanut butter. We love the peanut butter. And I want to say, if you don't like peanut butter, find something else you like, okay? We love the peanut butter. The God-directed and assured salvation and the guaranteed inheritance that comes along with it. All the good. No struggle, no trial, no difficulty. Yet that's not the full reality of the Christian walk. The peanut butter comes along with the pill. Trials, grievous trials, trials that cause us to grieve and trials that cause us to suffer are part and parcel of the Christian walk. And they serve a purpose. Some of you here are in the midst of trials. Some of you have just exited a season of trial. And others, you're about to enter. And the nature of these trials is all different. There's terminal sickness. There's lasting, lifelong sickness. There's financial battles. There's trouble with our job. There's a death of a loved one. There's family difficulties. There's betrayals by friends. There's abandonment. There's physical, sexual, or emotional abuse. And there's persecution for our faith in Christ. And sometimes they overlap. Sometimes these trials seem to come all together, all at the same time. I'll tell you that we're coming off a term of service in Cameroon in which the trials were, were relentless. And in some aspects, they're still ongoing. On the ministry front, we struggled to gain traction. We saw hopeful relationships fall apart. We found some of those men that we invested in were not qualified for the ministry. And we battled to find God's direction to move forward. On the family front, every single one of our children went through or is going through significant life trials, heart-wrenching trials. And in closing ranks, and in protecting themselves rather than those that they were charged to protect, a Christian organization made the trial of one of our children even harder. My parents continued declining through significant health issues and other problems that are impacting the larger family relationships and even emotional health. 
And through all of these issues, we often felt isolated and alone. There are very few who can relate to the problems that we're, we're going through. We struggled to find God's direction. We didn't sleep well for two years of our two and a half year term of service. In fact, we're still not. We talked often of changing fields. We talked often of quitting the ministry. We've told a few people that we didn't walk on the airplane when we came to the United States. We crawled onto it. Even now, we struggle to sleep, sleep well, and to, and to feel rested. Well, we can say, as Peter indicated, that we rejoice. The situations that have been and continue to still grieve us are still there. They still weigh on us. Verses 6 and verse 7, the pill, have been a very real part of our life. And I suspect they are for many of you as well. So let's take a look at some of the truths that are contained here in this passage. Truths that can help us to encourage us, can help encourage us, to help inform us as we go through these times. First thing I want to say is that grounded in God's mercy, our trials are in his sovereign will and in his sovereign control. Verse 6 has an interesting little add into it, right? Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. If necessary. This, This is a clue that the trials are not due to impersonal forces. They're not due to fate. They're not due to malicious or arbitrary decision of God. When the trials occur, they are necessary. And we could equally say that because God is a good and a loving God, that trials occur only when they are necessary. They are in the sovereign will of God. They're intentional and they serve a purpose. In fact, later in the book, uh, Peter says this very directly. In 1 Peter 4, verse 19, he says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. The Apostle Paul was a prime example of this. In Philippians chapter 1, he makes it clear that he is in prison by the will of God. He has been put there, he's been put in prison by Jesus Christ for the advancement of the gospel. That's the purpose. Paul's imprisonment served to advance the gospel. That's great. But then you may ask, are you saying that my cancer is the will of God? My child's mental crisis, or the fact that I have a wandering child, is that the will of God? My failing marriage, is that the will of God? My inability to find a job, is that the will of God? My jerk neighbor, is that the will of God? Or the persecution for my faith? Yes, it is. But I'm not saying that this is something uh, in which God relishes. Rather, in a fallen world and and filled with fallen and stubborn people, it's the means that the sovereign, this all-knowing and loving God has chosen to accomplish His plan for His glory and for our good. And so He wills it to be. Earlier, during the prayer, Pastor Dan cited Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. And who are those who love God? 
those on whom he has had mercy and caused to be born again and has guarded their inheritance. Those who Peter says in verse 8, have not seen him but loved him, have not seen him but believed. For those all things work for good. All parts of his sovereign plan, the good and the bad, the peanut butter and the pill. All culminating in our final salvation and our glorious inheritance. In fact, with the biblical assurance that God is good, I think we, can, we, we should take comfort in the fact that these trials come by the sovereign will of God. There's an assurance in the fact that they are not outside of God's control. They didn't suddenly come up. They didn't take God by surprise. He's not struggling to figure out how he's going to react. And he's not just letting it run its course to see how it works out. It's, it's part of the plan that he has for your life. It's part of the plan that he has for my life. It's part of the plan that he has for the rest of the world that was established before Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And we'll find its culmination in Revelation chapter 23, verse 21. All our trials in God's mercy are, are according to his sovereign will. And they're in his sovereign control. The second thing I'd like us to see is that grounded in God's mercy... Our trials serve the purpose of refining our faith. You know, in His sovereign plan, God brings and He uses trials for many different reasons. As we've noted, Paul was in prison by God's will for the purpose of the advancement of the gospel. Yet at that exact same time, the trials served to help Paul to advance in his faith, faith to refine his faith. In Philippians 4.11, he says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. He was learning through his trials. His faith was being refined. And at the same time, his imprisonment served as an object lesson for those to whom he was writing. And it served to inspire them to prayer for the apostle. The trials that we go through, they're, multi, they're multifaceted and they impact beyond what is going on in our life right now. They have other impacts. But here, Peter is focusing on the aspect of the trial that impacts us personally. In the midst of our trials, though, I think that sometimes we have the tendency to focus on the trial, our pain, our suffering, our poor condition, our desire for, the, for it to be different. Or the, why would God do this to me? Rather than the God who is bringing us through it. Our fears rise up. And we question whether God will provide. We question whether he's going to rescue us. Or if he will heal. Or for how long this trial will endure. Or will it get worse? We question why would he do this to us when we've been so faithful to him? He doesn't seem like a very loving God in the midst of the trial. Where's the deliverance? Where's this mercy that's being spoken of? Friends, the mercy is in the trial. For in His mercy, He has saved us and He is saving us. And that is where the trial comes in. Peter tells us that this, in, this, in His mercy, God is refining our faith. Right? Right? 
Verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Years ago, seems like a lifetime ago now, years ago when I was working in a really difficult automotive program, someone said to me, the hardest steels are forged in the hottest fires. Trials, difficult trials have a way of strengthening us, of, of forming us, but forming us for the good or for the bad. We all know people, perhaps it's ourselves, where a difficult trial has made them hard or has made them cold or, or closed off. Yet through our trials, God is not looking to build the Marlboro Man you know, with a tough, with, a, with emotionally rugged, fiercely independent nature or mentality. Rather, he's looking to grow us in Christ's likeness. And he's looking to grow us in our reliance and our trust on himself. These trials, I, I love how the fact that our music this morning and the commentaries and the prayers have all dovetailed into this message. The trials drive us to God to trust in Him more when we, can't, when we can't see, to believe His promises even more, even when their fulfillment isn't yet at hand, to rely on Him more in all things. I think this is often an element of what Pastor Mike intends when he encourages us to lean into God. These trials form my character, conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. They serve in our sanctification. James says it this way in, verses, in chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various tri trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So in that sense, we can say that our trials are a gift of God. Another way to say that is that our trials are a grace of God, a grace of God given to us, for they grow us and they conform us and they draw us closer to himself. That's God's grace at work. And while I can say that there was a lot of good things that happened on our last term of service, I can say that in many ways, at least from a human perspective, this last term of service sucked. I'm sorry, if you need to bleep that out on the, on the live stream, go ahead and do that. But I can also tell you that good came from it. I'm more reliant on God. I'm more patient. I'm more trusting. I'm more apt to wait on Him. I'm more searching to see what he was doing in me and what he was doing through the trial. I'm less trying to control the trial. I'm more exposed to areas of weakness in my life that need attention. I can say that my child that suffered and had harm added by a Christian organization has come out stronger in the long run. While I hated the trial and I hated that my child went through it, I can see the spiritual maturity and development and a growth in faith that has grown through this trial. And through it, slowly, 
I'm being challenged to learn a new aspect of forgiveness. I'm not there yet. The testing, the trials, they solidify, they strengthen, and they prove the reality of our faith. And it should be noted that while non-believers often suffer many, but not all, of the same trials that the believers do, that there is no personal good in the outcome of their suffering unless it drives them to faith in Jesus Christ. It's God's will that we are going through the trial. And although he doesn't relish the suffering, he relishes the results a proven and attested faith. A faith that in the end will receive the praise and honor and glory of God. Praise, honor, and glory that are ultimately going to rebound to God. For it is Him that has brought us through the trial. And that's the third point I want to make. Grounded in God's mercy, God assures our faith through our trials. I think often we refer to difficulties as a test of faith. I think sometimes this is done with the idea that our faith could stand or could fail, a pass-fail test of our faith, that our faith could be proven false or our faith could be lost. Well, that would certainly be true of somebody that does not have a true saving faith. A difficulty could easily reveal a false faith. As Jesus told the parable of the soils, that would be the seed that was planted among the rocks. But for a true believer, it's not a possibility. The word trial is perhaps more appropriate here. For in, the case, for in this case, faith will not be lost, but under pressure, it will be given the opportunity to be refined. The truth is that for the true believer, it is God who is both the actor in giving our faith and sustaining our faith. And, when and, and he is not going to lose or give up anyone he has saved along the way. Let's look again at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 to 5, the first few verses. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefined, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. It is God in his sovereign election that has chosen us before all time. It is God who renders that election effective in causing us to be born again. It is God who gives us the faith to believe. And it is God who assures that our imperishable and our undefiled and unfading inheritance is kept in heaven. And in verse 5, it is by God's power, it is in God's power by which we are guarded. Our faith is sustained in all things, even in the trials which he brings for our sanctification and for his glory. And look at verse 7 again, right there. Notice the opposition, opposition of gold and faith. Gold, which is tested, that's another way to say refined, gold which is refined by fire, what? It perishes, right? It's not eternal. But faith tested by fire does what? Does it perish? No, 
It remains and it results in praise and honor and glory. And it results in eternal salvation. Our faith doesn't perish because God sustains it. See, our salvation doesn't, our salvation isn't of us and it doesn't depend on us. It is God. It begins with God, it continues with God, and it will end with God. Paul says it this way in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God's got us. God has got us, has, God has got us through the trial. God is sustaining our faith through the trial. Inasmuch as we, again, Pastor Mike, lean into him and cooperate with him in what he is doing in the trial, God is growing our faith through the trial. We may be tempted in the midst of the fire to, to, to wonder or to feel like our faith isn't really that strong. One of our songs talked about that this morning. Or that God has abandoned us. But nothing could be further from the truth. God is working, and in his power, he is sustaining our faith. Praise him. Don't get me wrong here, okay? I'm, I'm not saying that we don't have to strive or we don't have to try to exercise our faith. We still have a responsibility. But God is working there, and he assures that it will be sustained. The fourth thing I want to bring up is that grounded in God's mercy, our trials are temporary in the light of eternity. Peter says, now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And so we're tempted to ask, what does a little while mean? Well, there's no time limit on our trials. They last as long as God deems necessary to accomplish his purposes. In some cases, they may last for the remainder of our time on earth. Here the pill can sometimes be a little bit bitter, can't it? Yet even in the light of eternity, they are momentary. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. But I have to ask the question, does that really bring us comfort in the midst of an enduring trial? I think it does, perhaps a little. In knowing that there's going to be a definitive end, even if it's our end. And I think it does if we remember that the trial is based on God's mercy. It's not based on His wrath. It's not based on His judgment. But it's based in His mercy and His love and His grace. And it's for our good. And perhaps our endurance through the trials also increases our hope and fuels our longing for our eternal inheritance. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever noticed how those who have endured trials or many trials often speak more warmly of heaven than those who have suffered little? And finally, grounded in God's mercy, we can rejoice even while we're grieving in trials. I look at that and I have to ask, how is this even possible? In fact, I might not even believe it if the Bible didn't tell me so. 
Yet wrapping up verses 3 to 5, expressing what God has done for us, Peter says at the beginning of verse 6, in this you rejoice. And in verse 8, Peter says, though you do not now see him, that's Jesus Christ, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. We rejoice because of the peanut butter. We rejoice because we're getting the peanut butter. It's certain it's going to happen. And it's the best peanut butter in the world. And that pill in the middle can take nothing away from it. In fact, if we think about it, the pill at the center makes the peanut butter even more peanut buttery. Because as we grow in Christ's likeness, what God has done and is doing for us becomes clearer, it becomes sweeter, and it becomes more glorious. And we rejoice because a day will come when it's all peanut butter and no pill. We can rejoice because we have a living hope, a certain hope, a, a guaranteed hope, a guaranteed inheritance, and nothing, absolutely nothing can diminish that. And nothing can take that away. It's coming, and it's eternal. And so, yes, we grieve. We grieve authentically. We grieve in the face of the trial because there is real pain and there is real suffering. And to not do so would be to, de to deny the very image in which we've been created. Yet a deep, abiding, and inexpressible joy is ever-present, reminding us of a certain hope and the imperishable inheritance we have because of the mercy of our faithful God and Father. So what do we do with all of this? What do we do with all of this? When it comes to a trial, or if maybe we're already in the midst of a trial, does that mean that we should just enthusiastically welcome the trial and embrace it like it's a dear friend to jump in with both feet? I don't think that'd be a very realistic expectation. And I couldn't preach that message with integrity. I don't like trials. I'm guessing you don't like trials very much either. I think when the trial comes, or if we're in the middle of it now, we need to remind ourselves of the peanut butter. That's why Peter wrapped the pill of the trial inside of it. The peanut butter is the fact that God, acting in His mercy, in His great love toward us, has saved us, and that there's nothing that can take that away. Our inheritance is certain. It will arrive. Our hope is certain. It will be realized. Our salvation, our hope, and our inheritance are guarded, and they are assured by a God who has the knowledge and the power to assure all these things. And the pill, the trial itself, is a sign that God is still acting in His mercy toward us. God has brought the trial. God is in the trial, and God will bring the trial to an end at the perfect time. The trial's not going to last forever. And the pill is ultimately for our good. God is refining our faith. He is growing our faith. He is conforming us to the image of His Son. The trial is a gift of God. Our trial is a grace of God toward us. And through the trial, God is also sustaining our faith within it. He's not letting go. He hasn't abandoned us. And so, yes, we cautiously welcome the trial in anticipation of the eternal benefits. 
We grieve in the trial, yet we also rejoice because of what has been assured. Just want to add a small note here in conclusion. Friends, God didn't call us to weather these trials alone. He has given them himself, and he's there, and he's assuring us through the trial. But he's also given us this church. If you are in the midst of a trial now, please know that you are not alone. And you don't have to try to weather this trial in your own strength. There have been, or there are men and women around you right now, some who have weathered similar trials, who are ready to help you carry that burden. I know that because I've seen them in action through our own trials. Even while we are in Cameroon, I have members of this body reaching out to me to encourage me, to strengthen me, and to walk with me through these difficulties. Faith, it's good to see you again. So not, maybe not the ministry update you were preparing today, but it's what God laid on my heart to share with you as we go through our various trials. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good. You are the one who sustains us. You are the one who carries us. You are the one who is assured a salvation that can never be lost. It is imperishable. But Father, you are also the one that leads us through trials. Trials that cause us to grieve. Trials that cause hurt. Trials that cause pain. But your word tells us, Father, that these trials are also for our good, for your purposes and for your glory. Father, as we are going through these trials, help us not to focus on the nature of the trial itself, but to turn our hearts toward you, to lean into you, to learn to trust you more through the trial, to seek the good that you are doing in the trial and to be a part of it as we navigate it. Father, change us to be conformed to the image of, your Christ, of Christ as we do so. Father, help us even in our moments of grief and despair, to recognize that there is a seed and a purpose and a reason for rejoicing within us and to find an inexpressible joy in our trials. And Father, I'm so thankful for Faith Church. I'm thankful for a body here that reaches out and loves and cares and lifts up those who are going through trials, many of which we heard this morning in Pastor Dan's prayer many more that are unknown to us right now. Father, continue to draw this body together in love and in unity for one another. Help us, Father, to help those among us who are going through trials to navigate and to weather these trials. Father, to you be all the glory. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.